0: Progress, potential and possibilities discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us i'm your host ira pastor welcome everybody once again to uh, another episode of our show with another really fascinating guest for you today helping to create Uh, a better tomorrow on on many different fronts. And and tonight uh, we have the honor of being joined by none other than Dr. Dennis McKenna, uh, famed American ethnopharmacologist, pharmacognosist, lecturer, author, Founder of the McKenna Academy of Natural Philosophy. Uh, Dr. McKenna is a founding board member, the Director of Ethnopharmacology at the Hefter Research Institute, a nonprofit organization concerned with the investigation of potential therapeutic uses of various psychedelic medicines. Uh, Dennis also serves on the advisory board of the American Botanical Council uh, as a founder and executive director for the Institute for Natural Products Research as an independent research consultant to the phytomedicine and nutraceutical industry. Uh, was formerly an editorial board of phytomedicine, the International Journal of Phytotherapy and Phytopharmacology uh, as adjunct professor at the Center for Spirituality and Healing at the University of Minnesota. Uh, Dr. McKenna received his master's degree in botany from the University of Hawaii, uh, his PhD in botanical sciences at the University of British Columbia and continued into postdoc research fellowships uh, in the Laboratory of Clinical Pharmacology uh, at the National Institute of Mental Health, uh, as well as the Department of Neurology at Stanford University School of Medicine. His research has led to the development of uh, uh, various natural products for the Aveda Corporation, as well as a much greater awareness of natural products and medicines uh, throughout the healthcare system. Uh, He has authored or co-authored numerous uh, peer-reviewed scientific papers, written uh, numerous amount of books, including uh, uh, the Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss, uh, My Life with Terence McKenna, uh, co-author of the Invisible Landscape, also with his brother Terence, and they were co-authors of the widely recognized reference work on uh, herbal medicines around the world in the title Botanical Medicines, the best reference for major herbal supplements. His publications have appeared in uh, in numerous journals, including the Journal of Ethnopharmacology, European Journal of Pharmacology, Brain Research, Journal of Neuroscience, Journal of Neurochemistry, uh, and a long other list. Uh, All that being said, uh, Dennis McKenna, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to come talk to us on the show today. Well,
1: thank you, Ira. It's always a pleasure uh, to be here, and uh, your your kind introduction remind which has consumed half our time. <laughs> right, your, your introduction reminds me I need to send you a much shorter and more up to date. Uh, uh, you know, biographical sketch, we're working from an old script here. I mean, all those things are true, but we don't need to, you know, talk about it in such detail. Anyway, uh, you know, I'm glad to be here. And and thank you for uh, getting through all that. I'll send you a much shorter biography for the next time. <laughs> got it, got it.
0: I, I I enjoy reading your bio because I, I, aside from it's an amazing amount of work you've done, uh, it is a testament to uh, to uh, the last several decades of uh, of knowledge that you've you've built and shared with the with the world. So I I enjoy spending the time going to it. But anyway, you so, said so send me that shorter version. I, I can put it in the bio of the show later, but. Um, <laughs>
1: Testament to interdisciplinarity, I think, exactly. and, uh, exactly. basically being all over the place. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, here we are. I yeah. It's hard to believe it's been a couple of years since I've come on your podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah. We, we talked a couple of years ago and, you know, a lot of what uh, I read just read through, uh, we talked about. Um, but I thought, you know, what, what I'd really like to do uh, on, on this particular episode, is really start off uh, where we ended the last time, where uh, we were having a chat about your ideas for uh, what you formed since uh, the McKenna Academy of Natural Philosophy. Um, if I could just read a little bit from the Uh, the website um, that has been developed since. Uh, uh, As a species and as individuals, we stand at the threshold of a critical moment in human history and perhaps in the survival and continued evolution of life on Earth. Uh, Those of us in this community, those of us have heard and heeded the message from Gaia's ambassadors, the plant teachers, are faced with this daunting responsibility as well as a great gift. Uh, And then you talk about the McKenna Academy as this unique incubator that is going to nourish the emergence of this new uh embryonic global consciousness and 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 basically uh serve as a source for everyone around the world to to further understand and learn from you. Uh, talk about what you've been doing the last couple of years in the development of, of the new school uh and and what's been happening.
1: Okay. Well thank you. Um yeah there I think last time we talked we were just getting started and uh we've come a long way since then uh not necessarily in the directions that we anticipated you know but it's all good in a sense originally the idea was that we were going to focus on we're basically an educational organization as the name implies we're an academy we're kind of a think tank we visualize our 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 organization as being a mystery school in the spirit of elusis you know but with the 20th century overlay you know so we're somewhat like a mystery school uh you know one of the ancient mystery schools and there were a little bit like think tanks like esalen and so on sure. except much smaller much more poorly financed much less known than esalen but that's what we aspire to you know that that kind of thing a place where brilliant ideas and brilliant people can come together to discuss the issues of our time or anything else we're interested in you know people say well it's the mystery school what is the mystery the mystery is the mystery of existence the 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 sort of it's an excuse for talking about any darn thing we want to discuss you know but the but at the core of it you know it's the sort of the to join together in marveling what a what a miraculous universe we inhabit and how unlikely it is that we find ourselves in it and asking these questions, you know, and, and it's curiosity driven. It's, uh, it's science driven, but it, it, uh, you know, we called it the McKenna Academy of natural philosophy because natural philosophy is the precursor of what's it's what science grew out of before science became quantitative, reductionist, sometimes boring, sometimes not admitting or not willingly acknowledging that there are other ways of knowing. You know, and natural philosophy included that. So our perspective is a little wider than just a strictly scientific reductionist perspective. At the same time, we don't want to be branded as flakes, you know. So we're sort of, you know, uh, we're sort of on that edge there where we're open to lots of ideas and, and lots of conversations without necessarily saying, this is what we believe. What we believe, what the academies, you know sort of perspective and mission is people need to learn to think for themselves you know and we can present all sorts of ideas but the academy exists to stimulate thought not to tell people what to think but to hopefully teach people or help people learn for themselves how to think you know because there's a lot of that the other thing going on you know uh ira it seems to be a seems to be a uh, characteristic of the human species that we're comfortable you know if somebody comes along and says here's a set of ideas all you have to do is believe this and you'll be fine you know and we totally reject that you know we say you know i don't need other people to tell me what i'm supposed to think i want to learn myself to think how to how to do it and that's what the academy wants to do and we want people to join in originally our idea and it still is you know I mean a central idea to the founding of it was that we wanted to do conferences and retreats in primarily in South America uh, but maybe other places as well and that's That kind of built on what we were doing before we actually formally founded the academy. I was working with uh, a person who is now the executive director, uh, Christina Chaya, uh, and we were just organizing ayahuasca retreats in the Sacred Valley. And then uh, after doing that for a few years, we decided to found this academy. And then COVID came along and completely changed, you know, derailed our business plan, Uh, you know, everything else that we'd aspire to. So we had to pivot and become a virtual organization, which is what we are now. And we, you know, we hope to go back to doing retreats at some point, but who knows when, you know, I mean, just COVID is dictating Everything and nobody can make plans. But in the meantime, we've we've developed a, a pretty good online uh, presence. We've been organizing events and collaborating with other groups on different events. And uh, you know, we've done a couple virtual symposia uh we have a podcast uh you've probably heard the recent uh uh podcast I did with Tim Ferris which mm-hmm. was a yep. you know very significant for us because of his reach and and also he's he's a wonderful interviewer. I, I I really enjoyed our and that's got us attention. So uh on the organizational level initially we you know this we incorporated in 2019 mm-hmm. shortly after i moved to canada and we incorporated as a canadian nonprofit and then that turns out turned out not to be the best idea because of being able to give tax deductions and so on so we re-registered as a 501c3 in the states and that's where we're registered now with the irs we have we have that designation so we can give people tax deductions if they're so inclined to to support us that way. And uh, we're actually beginning a big capital campaign to try to raise some funds, which I guess is pretty much what you do when you're a nonprofit, you're always trying to raise funds. Uh, But we've got some interesting projects, you know, projected and and, uh, in the pipeline. which which I can explain in in detail, or I can or not, depending on what what you would like to hear.
0: Yeah, I I, I would love to um, you know, continue a little bit down this path of uh, of the you know the mystery school. Uh, you know, you, you write about something that's near and dear to you. You were just talking about sort of. Um, sure the reductionist model that a lot of people may think about in terms of uh, ethnopharmacology and sort of traditional natural product research but you know here in the mission um, you, you know you mentioned that obviously uh, these these plant teachers are are not just these single purified elements there there are these fascinating mixtures of of bioactive moieties and then on top of that as in sort of this part about the 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 nexus and the Mystery school you talk about how they don't exist naturally in isolation they're part of cultures land spiritual traditions of the people talk a little bit about this theme if you would a little further and then if yeah if you could Obviously, nothing confidential. But if you could elaborate on a little bit, are you doing primarily ayahuasca work? Are you, are you working with other ethnomedicines? Uh, talk a little bit about sort of the uh, the therapeutic side here, and then you're, you talk about new models of wellness never seen before. So, if you could elaborate on that, that would be really cool.
1: Uh, sure, uh, we uh, are uh, uh, because we've had to go virtual a lot of. You know, uh, therapeutics and and doing ayahuasca retreats or retreats with other sacred medicines are uh, are part of the plan, but but less so because it presupposes that we would do these in a physical place. And you know, the last uh, actual physical uh, retreat that we did under the umbrella of the Mystery School was november 2019 and we did a 10-day retreat which was called the mystery school retreat in in the sacred valley of peru uh involving uh, uh one of my favorite teachers and mentors a uh, man named alexandre tanu who is a sound therapist and the brilliant man he knows incredible amounts about sound from you know the physics and the mathematics to the history to -hmm. the spiritual uses of of sound and that was a tremendous event and uh it was very well received and that was our first formal event under the banner of the uh mckenna academy and that was our last physical event since then we have been doing online events we did a tribute my, my brother yep. uh passed away in uh, april uh 2000 so we did a 20th anniversary on the 20th anniversary of his death for the next few weeks we did some retrospectives about him uh mainly conversations with different old friends of his that that knew him so it was a, a reminiscence fest Uh, We had, uh, also we had, we did some, we we did an event with uh, Merlin Sheldrake, talking about his book, uh, Entangled Life. We did one with uh, Brian. Morarescu, the fellow that wrote The Immortality Key. Yep. So we're just trying to present these different stimulating uh, opportunities to discuss ideas, which is what you're supposed to do in an academy and that sort of Socratic tradition. So not that we're, you know, I mean, we're, we're not a cult. You don't have to believe any of this. We're not pushing that. We're an anti-cult, you know. We're saying we don't know what's going on think for yourself we're all you know and that's been my perspective all my life is that you know number one curiosity is what drives discovery you know particularly in science and it's always been important to me just a desire to understand the world better uh and and so you know with that in mind, there's lots to be curious about, you know, almost everything. So the scope of what we can address in, uh, you know, in the academy includes everything. For example, uh, uh, we're planning a, uh, a virtual symposium, uh, probably a one-day virtual symposium on the stone date theory, yep. which everyone probably knows about. And the reason for that is the reason to revisit this is a couple of things. One is that uh, the my brother's book, The Food of the Gods, has been reprinted. There's a new a new edition of it, mm-hmm. and I wrote a foreword for the new edition. and uh, And then Michael Pollan's second book has come out. I was recently with Michael Pollan uh, in a event that was uh, organized by uh, Penguin books UK, mostly to promote Michael's book, but Terence's book is also uh, printed by them. So we're organizing this symposium to sort of revisit this theory, you know, and uh, uh, partly to promote the book, but partly because there's actually new evidence that supports the theory. And uh, I want to present that and discuss that. And we have some very, uh, we have possibly Michael Pollan will join that conversation. Uh, but some other people that have looked into this uh, are, I think we're going to have some very interesting speakers. You know, one of them will be uh, Dr. David Luke, okay. who you may have heard of. Yep. And he has done extraordinary work on psychedelics and, uh, and what he calls extraordinary human experiences. Uh, And also a lot of work on synesthesia. And synesthesia is sort of a core concept in my mind to this stone date theory that the, you know, that the mushrooms associated with evolving hominids and, you know, possibly as long as 2 million years ago could have played a role in the origin of language and the imagination and the ability to visualize, basically. And that's all that is... Sort of core uh, functions, core reflection of, uh, well, I guess what we could call consciousness or human consciousness as we understand those things. And, uh, you know, uh, some of the ideas that I think uh, substantially support it now uh, or could be marshaled to support it, let's say we were not even on the radar when terence wrote the book you know mm. the book was written in 1993 what we didn't understand at that point was this concept of neuroplasticity
0: sure
1: and epigenetics and these two mechanisms i think sort of move the the needle on this hypothesis to you know maybe possibly plausible to More than likely, (laughs) and the reason it's more than likely is that we know that, for example, psilocybin can, and we're talking about psilocybin here. We're talking about this positive co-evolutionary relationship between hominids, cattle, and mushrooms, which had to be in this environment, you know, we know that they were, uh, that it was much wetter in that region, northern Africa at that time, we know there were cattle there, there's fossil evidence for that, and we know there were hominids there, and we know that there was actually a ferment yeah, I mean I guess it's kind of it's kind of an oxymoron to talk about a ferment of evolution <laughs> because evolution is a slow process you know but we know from fossil record that there is this relatively rapid uh, growth in the size and complexity of the human brain starting sure. about 2 million years ago yep. and over that period it's increased it's at least tripled in size that's a very short time span uh, evolutionarily speaking for that kind of thing to happen and this neuroplasticity we know that uh, psilocybin can actually increase connectivity in the brain this is why it's being looked at for example for traumatic brain injury and mm-hmm. possibly even a treatment for stroke it actually can re uh, i guess rewire re-architecture neural connectivity in the brain and the idea is that you know in, increased levels of connectivity reflect an increased level of of conscious of conscious activity so you have a mechanism in this environment with these with these uh, three elements in the symbiotic relationship you know the cattle the hominids and the mushrooms, which kind of inevitably would show up in that environment, if you if you look at any uh, tropical pastoral ecosystem these days, if you go anywhere in the tropics that has rainfall and cattle, you're going to find these mushrooms. Right. I mean, <clears throat> you know, so so the idea is that uh, you know over periods of evolutionary time there was this increase in complexity and connectivity and, and general uh, of, of the human brain and epigenetics is the other part of this because epigenetics provides a mechanism for cross-generational transmission of these types of of uh, inherited traits that do not involve conventional mechanisms. So that's what we're going to explore in this, uh, in this symposium, which we're going to have one of these days, <laughs> hopefully soon, maybe October, November, we've been, uh, we're looking for, we're shooting for October and November. Uh, one of our problems, Ira, is that, you know, we're, we're a small outfit and, and we're kind of perpetually uh, stretched for our bandwidth, basically uh, we need, more people and we need more resources to really sort of uh rise to the occasion and be able to create these programs so that's one reason we're doing a capital campaign uh just so we can expand our base uh and and that's that's kind of what we're doing on on the uh on the teaching level and then we are doing some uh some research as well. Well, no, I should mention uh, we're actually, uh, as far as teaching, uh, another interesting project that we're doing. Uh, we've uh, formed a collaboration with the uh, Organization for Tropical Studies, which okay. is based in Costa Rica. And uh, we're, we're co-developing a, an ethyl course with them in conjunction with them which will be, you know, a real course with even accreditation and that kind of thing. it'll be about a 15 to 17 week course graduate level. And uh, hopefully people will be attracted to it. You know, there's uh, it's hard to find uh, conventional academic institutions these days that offer something like this in ethnobotany. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are maybe if, even if you measure in botany, you can have, you know, maybe one course, you know, plants and human affairs or something, right. but nothing that really del- delves into the, the subject. So so we're going to present this course starting around the middle of September. And, uh, you know, many, many people have approached me and approached the academy and, and asked, well, you know, so you say you're, that you're an academy, you know, where can I enroll? And mm-hmm. we'll hear you. You can enroll, you know. We're gonna, and this may be the first of a number of courses that we can that we can develop, but that that depends on lots of things, mostly expanded capacity. So we've got that program going, and then on the research uh, side of things, uh, I suppose you could call it research. Uh, we are doing this uh, this project called the Knowledge Preservation Project, okay. uh, which we're sort of branding as Biognosis, uh, and it's a it's a th- basically a three part uh, project, uh, long-term project, each part becoming, you know, costing more and taking longer and all that. But the initial, the initial part of it is to uh, make a documentary that uh, uh, doc- documents the knowledge of, of this, this botanist in Peru that I've worked with for over 40 years and ever since I went there as a graduate student. And this this gentleman is a really unique character because he has one foot in science and one foot in traditional medicine. Mm -hmm. He's the director of the herbarium at the university in Iquitos, Uh, but he grew up in Iquitos. His father was a a traditional healer uh, and, and he knows that side of it as well as the botanical side. The problem is he doesn't write anything down, Mm. you know, so he's got this head full of information and he's not getting any younger. And he's one of these people about which it said, when a medicine man dies, it's as though a library has burned down. Mm -hmm. Uh, My friend Juan Ruiz, he is that library. And uh, we want to uh, document using videography, basically, Much of what we know, what he knows, and go into the field with him, and go to the herbarium, and talk about the plants that you know are significant to him, and and kind of the whole whole uh, scene of uh, ethnomedicine as it's as it is now, the contemporary scene, the sort of post COVID, post ayahuasca tourism uh, environment for traditional medicine in the Amazon. So this documentary will be the first. And then hopefully from that, depending on uh, if that can be used to attract funding, we will, we will uh, continue and do a series of uh, short documentaries about traditional medicine in the yep. Amazon and, the, and sort of the current state of it. And uh, then if we can, that the, the the, the third and final and most difficult and maybe most unlikely phase of it because of costs and so on. But the third part of it is to, uh, basically take this herbarium at the university, you know, mm-hmm. which is a typical third world herbarium that has a lot of deficiencies, but it has a number of collections. It could be a world-class institution for, uh, plant medicine research in the Amazon. So that's what we're going to try and do is, uh, is actually uh, digitize the herbarium mm-hmm. and uh, uh, put all the specimens' images online, link them into different databases. There's even been discussions about creating a virtual rainforest idea. We've talking to some different VR geniuses, and they said, "Well, you know, you could make the you could make this a three dimensional immersive environment." And I'm all for that. You know, um, how much is it going to cost?
0: Right.
1: Who knows? But probably a fair, a, probably a fair amount. I mean, this. But you know, this would be two or three. It'll be probably at least two years downstream and once we get into it it'll take at least two years to do it but i think it's worthwhile and you know it's it's just one thing we can do to try and help you know preserve the knowledge the habitats and the plants yep. you know uh and so this is uh this is the kind of research side of what we're trying to do
0: yeah that's um but it, it, it's all extremely important. But that last part, you know, I was—I um, think a little bit after I talked to you last time, I actually uh, had time to spend with a um, one of the tribal leaders of the uh, the Warani peoples, and they're in Ecuador, um, and and they had recently come off this uh, major win in court against the Ecuadorian government, which was trying to chop down, you know, half a million acres of their area, and. And, um, and as we were talking about uh, just you know the things in the in the rainforest there in Ecuador, you know, she brought up these concepts of you know uh, preserving the spirit of the jaguar, which I, I I didn't know exactly what that meant, but obviously we know <laughs> what that means. And so yeah, I mean I think it's so you know timely and important that this obviously everything you're doing, but this specific part about we're losing so much of this knowledge that you say it's not documented it's in these minds and these amazing people they're there um and we have right. to... they are there yeah yeah so this uh
1: uh yeah this is this is one of the things i mean you know i guess part of the the reason to do this is uh if you can link any plant to a piece of information you know you've provided a rationale not to drive it into extinction yeah you know so and every plant has value and the there have been numerous studies that show related to land use and and development of resources in the amazon you know you can't necessarily just fence these these places off you can't fence off the cultures you know, uh, you, you you can try to set aside large amounts of land that are not exploited. Right. But ideally, you want to find sustainable and ethical ways to, to utilize those resources without depleting the resources. So you're talking about non-timber forest products yep. and that yep. sort of thing. Yep. And if you look at the different usage scenarios, it's clear that... You know, if if you exploit a given area, given fifty hectares or hundred hectares of rainforest for sustainable products such as nuts and fruits, and you know this kind of thing that can be sustainably extracted, the value per hectare is like three times what it is if you just cut it down and bring in cattle. Or, or, you know, soybean plantations, or oil palm plantations, or all of these things, which are, you know, all based on the monoculture concept, and right. it's not really suited to the Amazon. Yep. What we have to do is develop the Amazon as uh, as it once existed. Yep. You know, I mean, the Amazon. People think of the Amazon as a. Uh, you know trackless wilderness it was not that you know before the spanish came before the the smallpox moved in and you know ahead of the spanish and decimated these populations there were 80 million people living in the amazon yeah. you know and it was a sustainable permaculture based system you know and because you know archeologically there's no, there's very little stone in the Amazon. So, you know, you can't really get a handle on it, but you can do it using, uh, satellite, uh, uh, you know, uh, earth penetrating radar techniques mm-hmm. and various aerial, uh, you know, aerial techniques where you can see the infrastructure of these, uh, you know, aquifers and, and, uh, uh you know aquaculture installations and and you know uh, the and uh, you know the amazon is notorious for having poor soil that's true because all of the nutrients that are released into the environment are immediately taken up by other living things around them but the populations that lived in this area developed this uh, artificial soil uh, you know, that was basically uh, called Terra Pietra. They created their own soil. And there's hundreds of square miles of this soil, which again shows that it was under intense cultivation at the time. So, uh, you know, and we forget, you know, maybe, and maybe we conveniently forget, you know, because the incru- in ingression of, of the West into the Amazon basically destroyed these cultures and destroyed much of the environment and that continues you know yeah. uh i don't have to tell you the amazon is one of the most uh stressed areas on the planet right now yeah and you know a- along with every other part of the planet yeah. you know it's not a pretty picture Ira. i tell you we're under a lot of stress i don't you don't need me to tell you that you know uh I mean, it's reading that the uh, reports coming out of the latest uh, international panel on climate change, you know, we are coming to a tipping point. You know, we've been approaching it and for a long time, it's been, well, you know, in 20 years, you know, and then it's, well, in 10 years, well, now guess what? We're here. Yep. You know, and we have to quickly make some changes uh, if we're gonna if if we're gonna continue on this planet, at least if our species is gonna survive. You know, uh, I, I don't worry much about life surviving on the planet. Life is very adaptive, and the oh, planet's sure. gone through huge changes over the course of evolutionary time, uh, and managed to bounce back, and often some of these catastrophic events, extinction events result in a, you know a, a, an increase in uh, biodiversity and speciation and all that after they happen. but these are these are processes that work out over you know tens of millions of years
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, We do not have that kind of time mm-hmm. you know and we have to make some decisions and we have to do it, rather quickly you know so so this is what we're faced with yeah. and uh you know I, I i i don't know it it, i i feel like you may I, I feel in a kind of an awkward situation in a way you know because people expect me to have an optimistic uplifting message it's getting harder and harder to deliver that. you understand. know if i'm gonna be honest you know yeah. uh you you have to you have to wonder, not sugarcoat it. There's no. no sugarcoating to be done. We are in a serious crisis.
0: Well, you know, hopefully the Mechanics Academies of the world can uh, uh, teach us. Well, there are
1: yeah. lots like this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not that there aren't brilliant people and creative solutions out right. there. The question is, how quickly can they be brought right. online? Yep. You know, I mean, I think the plant teachers, the, the the particularly the traditional psychedelics, are part of this mix. You know, because they're an important part because they uh, are a way of reminding us basically how far out of sync we are with nature how how disharmonic with nature we become yep. and that's the core of the problem and they can be a wake up call and you know a realization and many people are getting that realization the question is what do you do with it once you have it you know and uh, it, it's not enough simply to have the experience you know you have to you have to make an effort to ensure that the right people have the experience, yep. you know, uh, so that they can, they have the power and the money and the resources to make a difference, yep. you know. And if if we lack that, then uh, you know, then it's a problem.
0: Let's um, let's talk about that a little bit because I know this is not um, d- directly in the sense of of the traditional plant teachers, but um, the last couple of years has seen a tremendous amount of uh, investment capital go into what I'll call the pharmaceuticalization of uh, the plant teachers. We see uh, various uh, moieties based on psilocybin, ibogaine, uh, some synthetic substances that we talked about also, traditional synthetic substances uh, being repurposed Talk, I mean, give me a little bit of your. We, we talked about this a couple of years ago, but it's come a lot further now. Um, a lot further. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you think these initiatives help uh, in the terms of awareness? Obviously, they're not the plant teachers. They are highly synthetic, modified versions of them, but do they help in the mission and uh, in, in sort of getting the, the thinking moving that, hey, there's important ethnopharmacology here that. Uh, well yes i mean yes in general
1: i'm i'm encouraged by that i think even 10 years ago i don't think we would have envisioned that it would have come to this right. you know and so in general the fact that the value of these medicines is being recognized is very encouraging you know and the fact that uh you know that the uh you know, I mean, I mean, suddenly the 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 checkered reputation of psychedelics has now been elevated, and people are beginning to realize that they are solutions for a lot of the mental illnesses that sort of plague our society. In particular, you know, trauma, uh, alcoholism, addiction, uh, intractable depression—all of those things. There's a lot of that going going on. And these things can potentially ameliorate these things. Uh, so that's a good thing. I think it's important to recognize that that's only a fraction of what psychedelics can do for us right. as a species in terms of healing. Uh, you know, they are, uh, it, you know, you don't have to be mentally ill to benefit from them. They can right. benefit well people in terms of, reframing this mindset, you know, and helping to reframe our perspective about our relationship with nature. So what's happening in the in the sort of venture capital commercial sector with psychedelics is uh, uh, it's a mixed bag, actually. I think that, I mean, I'm encouraged by it. I'm glad to see that these things are being recognized and and explored, you know, therapeutically. Uh, they definitely are a superior generation of. Uh, of medicines and and the institutions of psychiatry are pretty well broken anyway, you know, and that's largely because of their over-reliance on the traditional psychopharmaceuticals, which don't really get to the root of the problem. Psychedelics can be tools for helping people to actually get to the root of their problems and, and find cures, you know, so that they don't have to take them the rest of their lives a few well-structured sessions, and they can get rid of the depression or the trauma or whatever it is that, they're, that they want to heal from. Uh, but the other, you know, less encouraging side or, or uh, of this thing is that, uh, uh, by necessity, the way that clinical trials are structured and so on, it requires. You know, it's based on synthetics primarily. I don't think there are many natural medicines, uh, natural psychedelics in clinical trials, and uh, there's a sort of failure to recognize the context that these things came out of, which of course is traditional, traditional practices, traditional shamanic practices, and I don't think it's necessarily for necessarily that we want to imitate those. You know we can't. We're not indigenous people, but we can learn from those traditions. We can learn better ways to use them, and then I think the scientific and the you know uh, venture capital communities that are that are funding this, they have a responsibility to give back. You know, and, and they should try and build reciprocity into their their development plans rather than the traditional way it's been with with natural medicines is pharmaceutical companies come along and they you know they take the genetics they take the the plants and and the applications and very rarely give anything back to the indigenous people that have been sort of the the stewards of this knowledge and the habitats and their traditions for millennia so hopefully people in the psychedelic space are a little more enlightened. Hopefully, their psychedelic experiences have enlightened them a little bit more. That this is this is ethically this is dubious, you know. And they need to rethink their ethical stance and make a make a serious commitment to, uh, you know, give back to the indigenous people in in some substantial way, you know, uh, and then. That's easy to say, and then we have to get into, well, what are the details of that? How do you actually implement that? But there are ways to be found. The important thing is you have to make the commitment. And some, some companies are stepping up to the plate and others not. So it's very interesting uh, you know, to watch this, uh, this movement of, of psychedelics uh, toward the mainstream and the whole sort of venture capital maneuvering that's going on around this. Uh, I think that uh, at least here in Canada, and that's that's where a lot of these startup, these psychedelic startups are, at least here in Canada, uh, uh, you know, what I what I see is there's a mindset that many of the people that are investing in psychedelics were previously in cannabis, you know, and they think, well, we we made a killing in cannabis, which is actually not true. You know, I mean, the cannabis industry up here is a disaster, as it turns <laughs> out. It has not worked out the way people expected, but they say, well, now let's jump into the psychedelic space and we'll cash in on that, too not going to work that way i don't think you can make it work that way because of the very nature of psychedelics you know they are not things that you can consume daily as you could cannabis if you choose to they're not a commodity what the value you know the value of uh you know in a business sense the value to be found in psychedelics is not necessarily about producing the medicines and selling the medicines that's only a component of it the the it these medicines have to be used in a intense therapeutic context you know they're not take two and call me in the morning you know or it they just don't work that way so what we so it's the value of in the business sense is the 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 uh, context that's provided, the therapeutic support services that are provided around the use of psychedelics, you know, it's a, it's a total package Mm -hmm, involving mm -hmm. preparation and then the experience or experiences, whether it's one or a series of experiences, and then the integration of what is, what is learned, those things all have to go together. And that's the way you develop a, a, a viable approach to the therapeutic use of uh of psychedelics of course what that means is if you do that it means that you completely have to re- turn psychiatry and mental health care on its head you know because it doesn't work that way right, right now what I mean, it, 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 good it, well, just because you know it doesn't it's not about the substances, right and, right. and it, it involves making a commitment to uh, a therapist's time, which is yeah. probably the most important, most valuable component of this of this interaction. So how do you make that work cost effectively? How do you make it work in models where, You know, eventually you have to be asking insurance to pay for this and this sort of thing. So there's nothing simple about any of this. That doesn't mean there are not solutions, right? Mm -hmm. You
0: know, Dennis. You know, we've we talked about sort of the uh, the plant teachers that most people know or at least heard about in terms of psilocybin, ibogaine, ayahuasca, uh, which you spent a lot of time on. Um, in, in your time out there uh, in nature, uh, when you're putting together the desk reference and, and, and a lot of the ethnopharmacological tools over the years, are there, are there things that you, are there plant teachers that you wanted to see of the popularity of some of these ones that we've been mentioning that sort of never made it to the, the fore or the uh, side of that? You know, obviously, when, when we talk about natural product research, you know, we always hear we've only scratched the surface of the hundreds of thousands of species that are out there of, of higher plants, let alone lower and, right. and fungi. Um, you know, if I, if I was to give you $10 billion and send, send you and a team out for a while, I, I mean, where, what would you do? I mean, there, where, where would you go explore... Um, or is, is this even a viable, uh, uh, $10 billion? Is this an exercise that you would think of doing? Or we, uh, do you think we have enough plant teacher tools today um, and we want to work a lot more on, as you were saying, sort of the structure of how these things are are really utilized? That's not just the, 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 the compound, but the setting and so forth. Um, and there's a couple parts of that question, but uh, I really want to throw those at you as well.
1: Well, uh, uh well, send me ten billion million and we'll figure out. No, it was $10 billion, billion, but Oh, $10 million. A okay, well, B with a B, uh, a billion. I, I, with yeah. a, with, a, with a B, it would yeah. be much better. There's yeah. a lot we could do with a B. You know, uh, and it's, you know, it, it, it does require probably very high levels of investment. I mean, yeah. people have talked about, uh, you know, not, Just in terms of psychedelics, but tried to figure out what is the Amazon worth? You know, what would it take to uh, leverage this resource in a sustainable way that would preserve it, that would get the most benefit out of it for our species, and yet maintain these environments, these habitats, and the traditional people that live in these habitats? They're the keepers of the knowledge. How can we do? all of that sustainably. And that is, that is much harder to figure out, mm. you know. I mean, it has been, and I think it's something that you could do uh, if you've got to approach it probably at the at the international level through NGOs and this sort of thing, maybe the uh, UN uh, level agencies like the, uh, you know, uh, UNESCO and, and this sort of thing, scientific organizations, food and agriculture. Uh, but if you had that and if you had a, uh, you know, a pharmaceutical industry that wasn't necessarily predatory capitalism, uh, if they were less concerned with, this, you know, the problem with uh, the capitalist approach, at least in this drug discovery uh, sphere is they want to make the discoveries and then they want to make it so that no one else can make the discoveries and it's all about patents and intellectual properties and all that. If you could create a model where uh, you know these companies are putting significant amounts of investment into preserving these environments you know th- and that's where the commitments got to come and and it requires uh you know, it requires an ability to look ahead beyond the next quarter, you know, or beyond the next two quarters or beyond the next five years. It needs to be a 50 to 100 year horizon of development. And I don't see that happening. You know, I I think we're as a species, we have a hard time looking that far ahead. You know, I mean, just if you look at the particular, if you look at the climate crisis right now, we could have woken up 30 years ago, and we wouldn't be saying having these problems as yeah. much. I mean, we would have them, but we'd have solutions well underway. We're very good at denial, and just you know, we don't we don't admit it's happening, so it's not a problem, you know. And this is this is uh, going to work to our our uh, you know to our eventually to our destruction, but to our disadvantage. I mean, you're familiar, you're a natural product scientist, right? So you know that only a fraction of the total number of known plant species have really been seriously looked at for potentials for new medicines in in any therapeutic area. And usually the track record shows that when that is done, it pays off, you know. I mean, you can do all kinds of combinatorial chemistry. You can take synthetic approaches and all that. And that sometimes comes up with therapeutic compounds and and the pharmaceutical companies like that because they own that lock, stock and barrel. They don't have to pay off any indigenous tribes. They don't have to pay off foreign governments and all that. Natural products work, uh, you know, in the drug discovery field is messy because of all of these, uh, you know, agreements and frameworks that you have to build a lot around it to let this work go forward. But that doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile. Sure. You know, uh, I mean, it, it could be. I, I'm convinced that uh, essentially, I mean, I would like to believe that for every ill that, that affects humanity, somewhere in the natural world, there is a medicine that can treat it, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, maybe that's an irrational idea that I would love that to be true. And I believe it probably is true, but we just have to go find those. And if we let, if we put the resources we put into, uh, you know, proprietary drug development, if we put similar resources into supporting research in the natural, into the, you know, the global biome for natural products, uh, it would pay off, uh, you know, the discoveries would definitely pay off over time. Uh, but it takes the broad perspective and it takes a perspective, you know, that, that is, uh, realistic about the timeframes involved, sure. the investments that are needed, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, but there certainly are things to be discovered, including new psychedelics. Yeah. you know, I mean, I, 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 I'm sure they're out there. I mean, I, I know of a few. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I don't know if we necessarily have to go on that search. I mean, we have very good psychedelics. you know, sure. it's hard to, it's hard to conceive. Of a, of a psychedelic that is, say, more suited to human use than psilocybin. Right. I mean, psilocybin is almost the ideal clinical psychedelic. You know, it's non-toxic. The time frame of the experience is just about right. You know, for a clinical study, uh, there's no issue with supply, you know, because you can grow these things, that is an issue with things like iboga and ayahuasca and sure. these things. There's tremendous pressure on these, and so we have to be uh, we have to be aware of that. And and you know, we 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 have to develop sustainable sources of of those things if they're going to be brought into medicine. Mushrooms you can grow by the ton, yeah. you know, so there is no supply issue. Uh, I'm kind of amused sometimes at these, at these startup companies that, you know, they're focused on psilocybin and they're trying to find some way to improve on this. You know, we've got to come up with an analog or, mm-hmm. you know, give it in conjunction with this, that, or the other thing to come up with a proprietary, uh, you know, formulation. And, and the fact is it's just about as perfect as it can be in its natural form. And of course, the synthetic as well. So, uh, you know, is this really advancing therapeutics or is this just basically uh, an effort to make something proprietary? Right. You know, in that. So, so we'll see. We'll see.
0: <laughs> we'll definitely see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Des, you, you mentioned. Um, the uh, the tribute to your brother uh, Terrence, uh, it was earlier in 2020. Uh, the new uh, reprint of Food of the Gods is I think it's now I, I saw an image of it. It looked really cool. Uh, I think you put it on Facebook the other day. Um, any other things that I have missed in terms of uh, this next part of 2021? Things you want to tell me, tell the audience about? Please, I'll just you know, hand you the floor if I've if I've uh, not asked any about, about things you wanted to talk about.
1: Well, i I think we've uh, I think we pretty well covered it. Uh, I, uh, yeah, this is what we're doing. Uh, we are we're uh, hopeful for the for our capital campaign, our fundraising campaign, uh, which we're just getting started. You know, and a lot of people uh, know about us. They want to support. The account. I mean, they like the idea. The question Mm -hmm. is, how can they tangibly support it? Well, you know, we're we're a nonprofit, so we're happy to accept donations. But it goes beyond that. You know, we need people with uh, talent and energy and good ideas and more connections, and and that's all of what you need to grow to grow the academy and give us more, more capabilities, you know? Uh, So, uh, you know, I I would hope that in, within five years, if we're successfully raising funds, that we may actually have a a permanent, a physical location in, in South America, which is kind of where we started out uh, with this idea. But, you know, COVID has really upset the The apple cart of the world you know i i have a i have a i don't know if you've read any of my blogs on the academy website but i wrote one a while back that was basically you know the 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 theme of it was the world as we know it has already ended you know and we're in this post you know this strange post-apocalyptic uh era where you know now it seems that the pandemic is uh, gonna be with us for a while and undoubtedly is not the last pandemic that we'll have to deal with in this century you know so uh we need to uh you know as i've always said ira i mean my my shtick is you know we've got to wake up yep. you know and the the psychedelics are the catalyst to help us wake up you know but then we have to wise up in the sense that we have to get wise we have to think about it so we've had the wake-up call then how do we implement that realization in the real world in an Mm -hmm. effective way and that's where it becomes important to connect the right people and the right ideas and give you know i mean i'm I don't have that kind of influence, you know. We need people that are truly world-changing people who are also enlightened. <laughs> and I don't know if you get that combination. I mean, somebody like Tim Forrest, for example, is a tremendous influencer, and uh, you know. But even he has more or less the same message. You do as well. It's not that we don't understand, you know, what the issues are. The question is. You know how to how to bring that message to a wider world, and uh, you know uh, that's where I'm flummoxed. You know, I mean, the, the you know how do we, for example, well, you know, I, I don't know if you follow politics. You probably do. I probably follow it a bit more than I should, but uh, you know, it's disturbing to you know see how what a what a crude instrument political change is you know you can't even have a conversation about climate change or some of these things that are so important to us because everyone has you know their own and they're either in denial about it or they just don't want to talk about it at all so that's a problem you know How, how do we get off fossil fuels within the next 10 years if we even have 10 years you know how, we, how how do we do that that's kind of a basic thing if how do we uh you know a uh, deforestation is yep. another example of the same thing deforestation of tropical ecosystems and other ecosystems so it doesn't have to be tropical you know california's on fire a good deal of british columbia's on fire yep. it, you know uh and so this is a tremendous, uh, you know, uh, adding to uh, greenhouse gas emissions. The solution is simple: put out the fires. You know, but of course in California that's not an option. But in the Amazon, the fires are deliberately set, and uh, it's, uh, you know. It's unfortunate. There are better ways to use that resource. But then you have, you know, uh, Bolsonaro, for example, is like a mini Trump. In some ways, he's worse than Trump, you know, because he is the president of a country that should be taking the lead in terms of preserving the tropical rainforests. and, And it's not happening, you know. So I don't know Maybe we should end our podcast getting into some fairly <laughs> fairly dark places here. Well, that's, that's
0: yeah, where, uh, I mean, but, but you know, it's a it's, it's a wake up call, and it's you know, I um, I like to. There's a, one part of, uh, on your uh, uh, discussion of the, uh, the the catalytic nexus in the mystery school where you basically say, "Hey, we're 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 on the cusp of history's end. We are suspended." on our journey between ape and angel and hey we have to wake up as you're saying and and keep going um and 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 not uh uh forget this path and it's just uh know, yeah, yeah. I mean th- these are some deep topics uh, some are not the happiest but um uh, I, I'm I'm glad you're you're still there plugging away, Dennis, and and, and making us think uh, deeper uh, and giving us a forum to uh, through through these initiatives to, uh, as you say, think uh, and, and not just listen to what other people are telling us. But um, you know, I, I want to really wish you the best with with these initiatives. I hope you know, as we come out of this pandemic, uh, that that we can get things going much faster. Uh, uh, with the Academy, um I want to help spread the word. Um, as everybody that's going to be listening to this particular episode uh, on the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, uh, you've been listening to Dr. Dennis McKenna, uh, founder of the McKenna Academy of Natural Philosophy. Uh, check out the new reprint of Food of the Gods, definitely check out the website, which we'll link to in the bio and all the fascinating virtual conferences that have been going on uh, for the last year. Dennis, once again, it was it was great seeing you. Um, I, I wanna thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, thanks for everything you're doing. And as, as we say on our show, thanks for helping to create the better tomorrow. Uh, we're, I'm rooting you on, I wanna help you spread the word. Just uh, really always fascinating talking to you.
1: Yeah, thank, thank you Ira, it's always a pleasure. Uh, and, and thanks for letting me use your platform to get this message out too. Uh, I I put the address of the Academy into the chat box and basically I would ask people to check it out, you know, and see what's there. We've, we've, you know, like everything else, it's a work in progress, but we have a lot of uh, some of the events and resources there on that website. So folks could learn more about what we're up to there and um, look forward to the next time. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks very much.